I know that timer is not right because it says I have 29 minutes and 45 seconds. Thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness, my goodness. What is up, Movement Weekend? Um, if I don't know you, my name is Stephen, and I serve as the campus pastor at our Apollo Beach campus uh, down the road. Hollaback ABC in the house. Um, and I've been here a couple times on a Wednesday night. Um, you've not invited me back since the last time I spoke, so I don't know if it just didn't go well and y'all didn't like me. But I am honored. I am honored. I am honored to be here with you over the weekend and believing that God's going to do something incredible uh, in our midst. And, and here is the objective. Uh, we've got to lay some groundwork tonight to uh, get where we're going. So I hope that you'll lean in over the next couple of minutes and, 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 and stay focused in because we're going somewhere tonight and I really believe that it's going to be, it's going to be amazing when we get there. Your, your student leaders, uh, Miss Morgan Rummage, we love her. Shout out to Morgan, anybody? Yeah, we love Morgan. Uh, and, and, and John Gibbons, do we love John? I think John got a louder shout than Morgan. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> I don't know why y'all did that. Um, but they have given me the, the, the topic of the Trinity to, to discuss this weekend. That, that we're going to unpack the doctrine of the Trinity. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, number one, what's the Trinity? Uh, and we're going to get to that. I'm going to explain that to you tonight. Uh, and number two, some of you are probably thinking, why? Why, why are we going to spend Friday night, Saturday morning, and Saturday night unpacking this doctrine of the Trinity, and why is that important to me? What is the big deal about that? Let me lay some groundwork. Groundwork number one, here it is. Here's a quote you need to take a picture of or write this down. Hopefully you're ready to take notes tonight and be engaged and all that good stuff. Here it is. Number one is this. What comes into your mind, a quote by A.W. Tozer, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Now pause for a minute and just kind of let that sink in or write that down or take whatever you do with it. Take a picture of it. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And the reason why that's significant, students, is because every single one of us in this room tonight, you have a mental image that you go to when you think about God. And the reason why that's significant is that mental image, whatever your thought is, that is going to play out in your life, whether you know it or not, whether you are a Christian or not. Your mental image of God is going to play out what your knowledge of God is the core shaping influence in your life. A right view of God changes everything about you and your life. That is why, students, it is so important that you get a biblical view, a correct view of who God is and how he relates to you. Because it plays out like this. Say, say you have a, uh, an incorrect view of God. For, for, for example, say that you believe that God is an unreliable person or you can't trust him. And that you have to go through life on your own. If, if that's your view of God, that he's unreliable, you can't trust him, then you're going to go through your life filled with worry and anxiety. Why? Because you're trying to make it on your own without God. That's how that's going to play out in your life. 
If, if you think that God is angry or judgmental or always out to get you, you're going to go through your life fearful and insecure, thinking that anytime you step out of line, God's going to zap you with a lightning bolt. You go through a lot fearful and insecure. Or, or, or on the other hand, if, if you think that God is, is, is distant or aloof or doesn't care, you're going to go through your life feeling insignificant, like, like I don't matter. I, I don't matter to anybody. He doesn't care what I do. And that's why your view of God determines everything about you. And Tozer, in that quote, you know, goes on to say that, that we, in our hearts, in our souls, we have a natural tendency to drift toward that view. And then that view of God will play itself out in our life because your view of God your knowledge of God is the core shaping influence in your life. Because at the end of the day, students, Christianity is about you knowing and growing in your relationship with that God, whatever mental image that is. And your student leaders care enough about you to make sure you have a proper biblical view of who God is. Praise God for student leaders like that. That's it. Like, you got one clap up here, John Gibbons. And Morgan Rummage. So, so, so tonight, here's where we're going. Here's where we're going. What they want us to understand and talk through this weekend is that God, our God, is a triune God. And here's your definition for the weekend. You say, triune God, what does that mean? It means this, that there is one God who has existed eternally in three persons. You say, who are those three persons? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that, that God is a triune God, meaning this, that there is one God who has existed eternally in three persons. And, and even though you're not going to find the word Trinity in your Bible, that's what the doctrine is called, the doctrine of the Trinity, this concept is played out all through Scripture. Let me take you one place in particular. This will be our jumping off point right here, where you'll see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You see this at Jesus' baptism. In Mark chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, you want to go there real quick or just pull it up on your phone or jot it down for later. You see at Jesus' baptism, you see evidence Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so right there, you see evidence of the Trinity. You see God the Son, Jesus, the one in the Jordan River being baptized. And when he comes up, you see God the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. You see God the Spirit. And then you hear the voice of the Father, God the Father, booming from heaven in surround sound saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father, the voice, God the Spirit, the dove, and God the Son, Jesus Christ, the one being baptized. That, students, is what we know as the Trinity. One God existing eternally 
and three persons. It's not three gods. Do you hear me? It's not three gods. That is polytheism. We believe in monotheism. There's one God. It's not, it's not that, you know, well, it's a third. You know, God the Father's a third. God the Son's a third. God the Holy Spirit's a third. You come together and they're one God. No, no, no. It's not that. It's not three gods. It's not different modes, meaning this. People say it like this. Well, well, in the Old Testament, God acted like a father. So there he is. And then, and then in the New Testament, he kind of took off his father hat, and he became the son, Jesus, and, and he came to earth, and he died on the cross for us. And, and then he was buried, resurrected, then he went to heaven, and then he put on his spirit hat, and now he's acting like the Holy Spirit who's with us. That's different. That's modalism. We believe there's one God existing eternally and three, listen to me, three distinct persons. One God, three persons. One in three, three in one. And we see evidence of this all throughout the scripture. And what I want to do, I want to take that definition that I gave you tonight. And I want, to, I want to put some meat on that and back it up with what we see in Scripture. So you got three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What I want to do now is give you three theological bombs for you to write down to help you understand what we're talking about. Are you ready for these? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Number one, write this down. Here it is. Is it okay if we just go deep tonight? Yeah. Are y'all all right with that? Y'all all right with learning a little something up in here? Amen. Come on. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Good, 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 good. Number one is this. <laughs> There's one God. Write it down, write it down, write it down, write it down, write it down. There's one God. This right here is the most basic truth in the Bible. Taught from the very first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. That's it, in the beginning, God. And this one God created the heavens and the earth. The first words of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, picking up in verse 2, says, I am the Lord, your God. Period. I'm the Lord, your God. Who brought you up out of Egypt, you shall have no other gods, plural, before me. It's just me. It's me. There's one God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament is called the Shema. In Hebrew, that means hear. And in that verse right there, they're saying, hear, hey, listen up. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. 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 And you're going to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there is one God. That's theological bomb number one. That's truth number one. Truth number two, write this down, that this one God eternally exists in three, three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All throughout Scripture, God refers to himself in plural pronouns. You say, Stephen, what are you talking about? Let me explain it to you. In Genesis 1.26, when he's about to create uh, man, what does he say? He says, let us, let us, let us create man 
in our own image. Let us. Who's the us? It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the us. Let us make man. One of our famous verses, probably you know this if you've been around church for a while, Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus says, hey, I want you to go. You're going to go, and you're going to make disciples of all nations, and you're going to baptize them. How are you going to baptize them? In the name of the Three distinct persons. Not three gods. No, 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 no. Three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Okay. Theological bomb number three. Here we go. There's one God. There's one God. There's one God. You see, we're building. We're going somewhere tonight. There's one God. He eternally exists in three persons. And guess what? Hello. Mind blown. Each person is fully God. What? What you talking about? Each person is fully God. But there's only one God. Now let me show you what this means right here, okay? What this means all throughout Scripture. God the Father is fully God. God the Son, Jesus, is fully God. God, the Holy Spirit, is fully God. It's not, hello, McFly, each one, God, one-third God, one-third God, put them together, you got a whole God. No, each one, (laughs) I don't know what that was, sorry. Uh, Each one is fully God by themselves. Let me show you scripture. You're you're looking at me like Stephen. Okay, Ephesians 1-3, Ephesians 1-3, the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians, he said, he says, blessed be the, uh, uh, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God, God and Father. The Father is fully God. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus arose, he appeared to Thomas, doubting Thomas right there. I hate to be Thomas right there. He's always on his doubting Thomas. When he appeared to Thomas, Thomas looks at him, looks at Jesus, the risen Jesus, and he says this. He says, Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus is fully God. In the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira did a little line right there. They didn't bring all their money into the church. And as a result of them lying, they fell over dead. Let that be a lesson for you. And the reason why they fell over dead when they lied, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they lied not to man, but they lied to God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. So you've got, you've got, here we go, one God, eternally existent, three persons, each person is fully God. How do you explain this? That our God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all fully God, but it's not three gods. God is three in one, one and three. How do you explain this? I got like a little, I think I, think I have it up there, a Trinity shield that, that, that we see this. How do you explain this, that all three are God, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit, but at the same time, they are all God. How do you explain that? Guess what? You don't. Mm. Enter, listen to me, students. You got to get this. Enter the word mystery. That our God is a mystery. 
And newsflash, if God, <laughs> if God were small enough for you to explain him, he would not be big enough and worthy of your worship. You don't want a God that you can fully explain. That's where faith comes in, that we walk by faith and not by sight. However, God in his love and his grace has revealed himself to us in scripture. So listen, we believe the Trinity not because we understand it. No, we believe it because that is what God has revealed to us in scripture. And so my encouragement to you students would not be, as we kind of walk through this weekend, not get hung up on trying to explain it, but to behold the beauty and the mystery of our great God, that the God, come on somebody, who sits on the highest throne is God the Father. That the God that people saw with their eyes 2,000 years ago was God the Son, Jesus, the Word, become flesh. The God that you feel moving in your spirit is God the Spirit, three and one, one and three. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, the one in the middle is the one who died for me, and the one on the end is the one who lives inside of me. That is our God. That is a God worthy of your worship. That is a God who's worthy for you to surrender your life to. I don't want no small, puny God. I want a God who's worthy of my worship. And listen to me. As we walk through this, this weekend, you're going to see that God is absolutely worthy of your worship and worthy for you to lay it all down and surrender it all. And so tonight, here's what I want to do with the time that I got left, and I'm going to take as much time as I want, all right? Come on. I want to show you, because you got to get this tonight. This is foundational right here, that the most astounding and unique of all Christian revelations is the revelation of God as Father. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. The most astounding and unique of all Christian revelations is the revelation of God as Father. You see, other religions present God as the creator, and make no mistake about it, our God is a creator. Or, 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 or they, or they, they, uh, they, they talk about how God is a ruler or he's almighty and make no mistake about it. Yes, our God is a creator. He's a ruler. He's almighty. But the core of who our God is is that our God is a father. Because you think about it. Come on, think about it, students. You got you to track with me for all eternity. Our God has been a father. Because there's never been a time, never been a time when the Trinity has not existed. There's never been a time when the Son has not existed. So therefore, there's never been a time when our God has not been a father. Listen, he's not always been a creator. Because to be a creator, you have to have a creation. And creation is not eternal. 
He created when he, cre- he became a creator when he created something. He's not always been a judge because to be a judge, you got to have something to judge. So, so until there was something to judge, he became a judge. He's not always been a ruler because to be a ruler, you got to have something to rule. But for all eternity, there's been the Son of God. Therefore, for all eternity, our God has acted as a father. It's the core of who he is. He is a father. And so, listen, listen. Lean in. This is where, this is where we're turning right here. This is where we're going tonight. The most important question that you could ask yourself tonight, is he your father? Once you feel the weight of this, are you his son or daughter? Because listen to me, students, come on, come on, come on. There's only two types of people in this room. Those who are children of God and those who are not children of God. And the choice is yours on which one you want to be. So the most important question you could ask tonight is do you know God as Father? Because listen, every single one of you, you have been created by God. And you have been created in his image to enjoy him. And you have been created to be in a relationship with your heavenly Father. So do you know him? As father. Because if not, what I want to do just over the next few moments is I want to paint you a picture of God as father. And I want to invite you to become his son or daughter and to become a child of God in this very room tonight. We're going to start, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, a very familiar verse. If you want to turn there or scroll there or whatever you want to do. And this verse is going to launch us into looking I had a couple of truths tonight about God as Father. Matthew chapter 6 is right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous sermon ever preached by Jesus, the greatest preacher of all time. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And he gets to this pivotal moment right here in this Sermon on the Mount. He starts to launch into the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to look, I want you to look at how he begins this Lord's Prayer. He looks at his disciples and he says, hey, hey, disciples, listen up. Because this is how you're going to pray from here on out. This is what it's going to look like. I want you to pray like this. I want you to pray our creator God who's in heaven. Is that what it says? Oh, I want you to pray like this. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Hey, hey. God Almighty, I want you to pray like that. Is that how he teaches his disciples to pray? What does he say right here? He says, he says, I want you to pray like this. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I know if you've been around church for a while, maybe those words don't do much for you. But oh my goodness, the fact that Jesus is telling us to pray to a dad, to a father, should be astounding to you. He doesn't tell you to pray to, to a creator, even though, yes, absolutely, God is our creator. He created everything. He doesn't tell you to pray to an almighty ruler, even though God absolutely is almighty and he rules it all. At the end of the day, listen to me, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you have been saved, you get to pray to a heavenly 
father who is absolutely crazy about you and who loves you. Jesus says, pray like this. Pray to your father. Let me pause right here. Shifting again. Because I know, I know, when I say the word father, that's going to bring up some emotions for a lot of you in this room. It's going to bring up some feelings. It's going to bring up some memories because here's the deal. Listen, for a lot of you in this room, you have great dads. And praise God for that. Or maybe for some of you in this room, you had a great dad. And you've got good memories of him. But for many of you in this room, you don't have a great dad or you didn't have a great dad. For some of you, the greatest pain in your life comes from your relationship with your earthly father. And I don't know what that looks like. Maybe for some of you, he was never there. Maybe he abandoned you when you were little or he abandoned you recently and you have no idea where he's at. Or maybe it wasn't even his fault. Maybe he died early and he's not there for you now during some pivotal moments in your life. Or maybe, maybe he's physically present, but he's not really there, if you know what I mean. He was always too busy or he's too busy for you and he never really pays that much attention to you or maybe maybe all you can remember or what you're going through right now is how disappointed he always seems to be with you or maybe you just never really felt any connection to him whatever the case listen to me students you got to hang with me right here your view of your earthly father is often the weightiest factor in the development of your faith. Why? Because you have been created for a heavenly father and your earthly father, they are supposed to be a model for you to teach you about your heavenly father. And I know for some of you this may be tough because maybe for some of you you got great memories or you don't have great memories or it's kind of in between and, and, and you're thinking, okay, Stephen, if you're telling me, if you're telling me tonight that God wants to be my heavenly father, yet my earthly, my earthly father is not that great, man, 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 if my heavenly father is going to be anything like my earthly father, thanks but no thanks, I don't need another father in my life. And what you're doing, listen to me, what you're doing, we got to get this right tonight, we got to get this right, is, is you are... You are viewing your heavenly father through the lens of your earthly father. Meaning this, that if my earthly father is abusive, then my heavenly father is going to be out to get me. He's going to be abusive. If, if, if my earthly father, if my earthly father is distant, then my, my, my heavenly father is going to be distant. If I can never measure up to my earthly father and he's always seems to be out to get me, then my heavenly father is going to be the same thing. And listen, what you got to do tonight is you got to stop viewing your heavenly father through the lens of your earthly father and flip that around and start viewing your earthly father through the lens of your heavenly father and you will see that your heavenly father is everything you wanted your earthly father to be and so much more. you got to flip that. 
and you'll see, you'll see that where, where your earthly father fell short, your heavenly father will never fall short. And he will be everything you needed your earthly father to be. Because your heavenly father is a good, good father. Oh, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. Flip the page, Matthew 7. I want to show you some contrast, and then I'm going to land the plane. And we're going to sing, and I'm going to give you a chance to get saved. Mm. Because here's the deal. Hey, hey, we don't have to wait till Saturday at the last hour when everybody's crying and snot's going everywhere. Let's, let's do it tonight. All right. Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Jesus is teaching on prayer. Hey, listen. Hey, for the next few moments. Don't nobody get up and move. This is go time. I want you leaning in. Don't move around. Matthew 7. Jesus says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open. He's talking about prayer. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you. If he asks his son, dad's, dad's in the room, hey, hey. If, if your son comes to you and asks for bread, are you going to give him a stone? Oh. Or if he asks for a Christian chicken or, or a fish or whatever, are you going to give him a serpent? No. If you then, who are evil, if you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts, Know how to give uh, good gifts to your children. Look at these next three words. How much more? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who seek after him? Let me tell you what Jesus is doing right here, students. He's going, he's making his argument from the lesser to the greater. I'm going to show you some contrast right here between your earthly father and your heavenly father. Regardless if your earthly father was a good father, a bad father, absent father, abusive father, anywhere in between. What he's doing is this. He's going from a lesser to a greater. And he's saying this, hey, hey, even the best dads. I mean, if your son comes to you and he says, hey, can I have some bread? You're not going to give him a pile of rocks. No. Or if he asks for a piece of fish, you're not going to give him a snake. No, you're not going to do that. But at the end of the day, eyeballs on me, students, look at this. Every single dad in the world has a sinful heart. That's why he says right there in verse 11 of chapter 7, even though you are evil. Meaning this, I have five children, I try to be a decent dad. But at the end of the day, I am still a sinner in need of a savior. I still have a sinful heart that is bent away from God and towards sin. And what Jesus is saying right here, hey, even though, first contrast right here, even though you are evil, meaning that, hey, even the best dads still have a sinful heart, your heavenly father is not evil. He is absolutely good. We are evil. He is good. Your heavenly father is absolutely good good he's good everything about him is good and there is no inclination towards sin in him at all 
meaning this. Every earthly father, you're not guaranteed to do what is best every single time. Listen to me. But your heavenly father is. Let that soak in. Yeah, I want to be a good dad. But at the end of the day, I still have a sinful heart. Your heavenly father is absolutely good. Meaning that he is incapable of giving you anything but the best. He's good. But not only is he good, he's also, let me give you another one, write this down. We, we have limited wisdom. He has infinite wisdom. Maybe there's been times in your life where you went back to your parents or your dad and you said, guess what, dad? You told me to do this. I was wrong and you were right. Maybe. But we have, we have, as a dad, as an earthly dad, I have limited wisdom, but our heavenly father has infinite wisdom. He is all wise. He knows what is best. He knows what we need and when we need it. Therefore, you can trust your heavenly father. Let me give you another one. We have limited power. Our Heavenly Father is all-powerful. Do you see the progression right here? Watch this. Because listen, listen, listen. If you're looking for something, you're looking for a Heavenly Father. It's what your soul wants. It's what you need. And so God right here say, hey, hey, not only am I good, not only am I wise, but I'm also all-powerful. And you can trust him. You can run into the arms of your heavenly father and know that those arms will wrap around you and he will never let you go. Why? Because, hey, he's good, he's wise, and he is all-powerful. No one better. And then, and then, you're looking at me, can it get any better? Absolutely, it can get any better. It can get better. Because me as a dad, me as a dad, come on. I love with an imperfect love. Your heavenly father, he loves you with a perfect love. It's absolutely perfect. It's what the disciple John said in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. He's always existed in love, in the Trinity. This means, don't miss it, that by the very nature of God, our God can do nothing less than give the most and the best to his children because everything he does in our lives flows from perfect love for you and for me. That's good. This means that your heavenly Father is 10,000 times better than your earthly father, good or bad. 10,000 times better. You're like, Stephen, Stephen, if God is my heavenly father, I've got a crappy earthly father, I don't want anything to do with that. No, 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 no. Do not limit your understanding of the fatherhood of God based on your earthly father. Because praise God, your heavenly father, he has no... uh, 
Your heavenly father has none of the limitations of your earthly father. Your heavenly father has none of the sins of your earthly father. Your heavenly father has none of the weaknesses of your earthly father. He has none of the hangups of your earthly father. That means instead he always gives what is good, what is best from a perfect, from a fountain of perfect love, infinite wisdom, total goodness. He will provide for his children. Watch me. But do you know him? Do you know him as father? Listen to me, students. I'm not asking, I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not, I'm not asking, are you a good person? I'm asking you, do you really know him? Because listen, 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 there's only... There's only two types of people in this room. Those who are children of God and those who aren't children of God. And you got to decide which one you want to be. You say, you say, Stephen, Stephen, God, God loves me. I get that. I, I, I get it. I get it. He's, he's good. He's wise. He's all powerful. He's all loving. What do I do with that? What's my response to that good, good father? How, how do I respond to that? Listen to me. We're about to do this. We're about to do this. Number one, hey, listen, if you're a child of God in the room, if, 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 you, are, if you are a son or daughter of the Most High King, your response to that, there's only got to be one response, and that response is worship. you got to worship your good, good father. You, you got to bring it all back. Listen, we're going to have a time where you can come. And I, listen, I don't want to wait till the last night man, where we're going to open up this altar. And you should be astounded that the king of the universe knows your name and he loves you. And he's good. He's good. And he's wise. And he's powerful. And he's loving. It'd be one thing, it'd be one thing if he was all powerful and not loving. That's no good. That means I'm afraid of it. Remember, A.W. Tozer, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so if he's all powerful, but he's not loving, I don't want to worship that. I'm afraid of that. But if he's all loving and he's not powerful, he can't do anything. But the fact that he's both, he's all powerful, he's good, he's wise, he's loving. And more than anything, he wants you tonight to run and jump into his arms and allow him to embrace you and to love you. There's times I, I told you I got, I got five children at the house. Four boys, and then on the end, I've got a two-year-old daughter. So she's got four older brothers. She's good, trust me, she's good, she's tough. I think I got, I, do I have a picture of her? 
a picture of her? girl right there you mess with her I will kill you I don't care who you are I will start a prison ministry up in here I'll be fine with that so I'll be down in my office sometimes I'll be down in my office you can catch this right here she'll be upstairs playing and all of a sudden I'll hear this I'll hear it I'll hear it a little soft a little soft you know what I'm saying? It gets louder. Uh, and it gets a little bit louder. Uh, uh, and then all of a sudden I'll turn around and she's right there. Uh, and I'm like, sweetheart, what happened? She's like, my brothers were mean to me. I was like, which one? I'll take one out. I got four I can lose. When it's all right, it's all good. <laughs> but here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. I'm like, sweetheart, come here. Come here. Come here. What's she'll do? She'll run. And she'll jump in my arms, and I'll put my arms around her, and I'll start to sway like this. And, she, and, she, and she'll go, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Feel her body right there. She's all tis- ah! I'm holding her right there, just kind of rocking her, singing to her a little bit. What she does, she relaxes. She's at peace. Some of you, that's what you need to do tonight. You need to run to the arms of your loving, good, wise, all-powerful Heavenly Father. And let Him wrap your arms around you. And let Him hold you. And let Him sing over you. And let Him comfort you. Man, he, you can do that. Why? Because He's all-powerful. And He loves you. Others of you, listen, listen. So if you're, if you're a child of God, you just need to worship tonight. If you're not a child of God, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to let him adopt you into the family. And I don't know, you need to say, what am I going to do? Man, you just, you just trust him. You surrender. You say, you, say, you say, God, I want you to be my dad. I, I, love a, I love one of my favorite verses in Psalm 139. Let me read this right here real quick. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Where shall I flee from your presence? You can't get rid of He's He's pursuing you. Verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mom's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Listen to me. God made you to be his child. Do, do, do you ache to be special to someone? You are special. You're special to God. Do you yearn to matter? You do matter, student. You matter to God. Do you know how much God thinks about you? He literally intricately wove you together in your mom's womb. 
That's how much he knows you. Do you know how valuable you are to him? He sent his son to die on a cross for you so that you could be his child. And that love is deeper and greater and better than any love you fail to get from your earthly father. He's the father you've been searching for. He's the father that you've been looking for. He's the father that will never disappoint, never forsake, never leave. He's the father your heart has always craved. So why not tonight? Some of you need to do this as an act of worship to come to the arms of your heavenly father and worship him. Others of you tonight, you need to run into the arms of a good, good father for the very first time and let him save you. this time don't waste it we're going to talk about the spirit tomorrow morning he's already here if you feel that it's the father saying come home and so God we we love you we praise you every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, nobody thinking about what we're doing next. This is the moment right here. Do you know him as your father? If not, if not, if you're like, Stephen, I, I, I don't think so. If you don't think so, then it's not. So Stephen, I, I, I want my heavenly, I want a heavenly father who's good and wise and loving and powerful. I want that, I want to be in the family. What do I got to do? Right there where you sit. In this moment. You say, God, save me. Save me. I believe in you confessing with my mouth that, 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 that you, you are the Lord. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me in my place. And I want to be in the family, so please save me. Make me a child of yours. I believe in you. Trust in you. Others of you, tonight, tonight, as we're about to sing, this is your time to worship. This is your time to thank God for being your dad. The altar is going to be open. So maybe you just use this place as a place to come and kneel and pray and thank God. Even, even if your friends don't want to come, you come. You come because you're his child. And that's the greatest gift you can ever, ever receive to be a child of the Most High King. So you worship, you pray, you sing, you lift your hands, you kneel. Whatever God is leading you to do.